You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode six of Girl Speak, our news roundup for March 2014. I'm Tiffany. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. We are a completely virtual museum that explores and documents the unique experience of being born and growing up female around the world in the past and present. Our top story focuses on the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women, held this past month in New York City. The commission, in its 58th year, featured the theme, Challenges and Achievements in the Implementation of the Millennium Development Goals for Women and Girls. More than 6,000 representatives of UN member states, entities, and non-governmental organizations from all regions of the world were in attendance. The purpose was to review the status on achievements made towards the Millennium Development Goals, a series of eight goals that the UN put in place in September of 2000 and has hoped to achieve by 2015. These goals form the blueprint for the implementation of such initiatives in all the world's countries and leading development institutions. They include eradicating extreme poverty and hunger, achieving universal primary education, promoting gender equality and empowering women, reducing child mortality, improving maternal health, combating HIV, AIDS, malaria, and other diseases, ensuring environmental sustainability, and forming a global partnership for development. During the opening session of the commission, UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon stated that 2014 will focus on development especially concerning education and reproductive rights. Specific sessions at the Commission focused on women and girls' access to education, training, science, and technology, as well as equal access to full employment opportunities. Part of these sessions revolve around the Every Woman, Every Child effort, started by the Secretary General in 2010, with the hope of saving the lives of 16 million women and children by 2015 through mobilizing governments, multilaterals, the private sector, and civil society into addressing major health issues facing women and children worldwide. Among the sessions was also a side event where the Overseas Development Institute and the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development outlined a set of six targets and indicators that will help us gain a better understanding of the root causes of women's disempowerment. These targets are sexual and reproductive rights, violence, decision-making, participation in public life, the equal distribution of unpaid care work, and equality between girls and boys. Indicators included the age at which a woman gets married, the percentage of men who justify domestic violence, and the average time women and men spend on household chores. A report published in conjunction with the event suggests that the identified target areas could be measured using data already collected in at least 80 countries through demographic, health, and household surveys. The results would offer a clearer understanding of persistent areas of discrimination, providing lawmakers and advocates with a better idea of where to focus their time and resources in the fight to empower women worldwide. Finally, part of the Commission's events included the reading of the Girl Declaration. This declaration brought together 508 girls living in poverty across the globe, with more than 25 of the world's leading development organizations, in order to make a statement that would help the United Nations understand what it is that girls want and need around the world. The Girl Declaration stated, I was not put on this earth to be invisible. I was not born to be denied. I was not given life only to belong to someone else. I belong to me. 
I have a voice and I will use it. I have dreams unforgettable. I have a name and it is not anonymous or insignificant or unworthy or waiting any more to be called. Someday, they will say this was the moment when the world woke up to my potential. This is the moment I was allowed to be astonishing. This is the moment when my rising no longer scares you. This is the moment when being a girl became my strength, my sanctuary, not my pain. This is the moment when the world sees that I am held back by every problem and I am key to all solutions. This is the moment when a girl and a girl and a girl and 250 million other girls say with voices loud that this is our moment. This is my moment. This, yes, this is the moment. Our next story takes us to the Amidat district of Uganda, where a total of 194 girls have fled their homes since last December in fear of undergoing female genital mutilation and early marriage. The girls were offered sanctuary by the Callis Catholic Girls Primary School. The girls are being fed by the World Food Program and other non-governmental organizations. Though Uganda currently has laws in place to prevent female genital mutilation, it is still a common practice in the region. Sources have indicated that the girls faced female genital mutilation and early marriage in large part because their fathers wished to marry them off for dowries of at least 50 cows. According to activists working with the school, many of the girls remain in contact with their mothers and are being helped by social aid workers in the country. Next we head to Malawi, where political tensions before the national elections are putting girls' rights on the back burner. Opposition from traditionalists who support polygamy is dimming hopes that child marriage will soon be outlawed in the country, where one of every two girls marry before the age of 18, and the marriage of children before the age of 15 is not explicitly outlawed. Hopes were high in 2012 when Joyce Banda became Malawi's first female president, but her support for legislation that would end such violence against girls appears to have waned as she fights for re-election. Progress on the bill to end child marriage has stalled as Banda engages in further consultations to ensure its passage, as the bill also includes provisions to ban polygamy that many traditionalists oppose. Now, we turn to the Middle East for an update on girls in Pakistan, Iraq, and Afghanistan. In Pakistan, strides have been made in better educating girls about sex through the efforts of the Village Shadabad Organization, which runs eight schools for 700 girls in the region. At one of these schools, the organization has recently begun offering sex education lessons to girls as young as eight years old. The lessons also include discussions on self-defense, marriage, and human rights issues. The program is sponsored by BHP Billiton, an Australian mining company that operates in Pakistan. Unfortunately, the situation for girls in Iraq is not looking as hopeful. News sources this past month have been buzzing about a new bill in Iraq that permits girls to marry as young as nine years old. The bill would also give child custody automatically to fathers and reaffirms a husband's right to insist on sexual intercourse with his wife whenever he wishes. Protests were held throughout March by Iraqi women after the bill passed the cabinet and headed to the parliament, where it awaits a final vote. The bill is yet another example of the deep divisions in Iraq since the overthrow of Saddam Hussein in 2003, as Shiite Islamists have come to lead the government and hope to impose their religious values on Iraqi society. In 2003, Shiite religious parties attempted to pass a similar law to no success. Current laws in Iraq are considered some of the most progressive in the Middle East, as they enshrine a woman's rights regarding marriage, inheritance, and child custody. The passage of this new bill would be a great leap backwards for women's rights in Iraq. And in Afghanistan, 
A new report by the U.S. State Department reveals that the sexual abuse of Afghanistan children has reached an all-time high this past year. The 2013 Country Report on Human Rights in Afghanistan, released this past month, states that 60% of girls in Afghanistan are married before their 16th birthday, despite the law dictating that girls must be 16 years old in order to be married. The report also details an increase in rapes in the past year, with most victims being children. Some girls as young as six or seven were promised in marriage, with the understanding that the actual marriage would be delayed until the child reached puberty. Reports indicated, however, that this delay was rarely observed, and that young girls were sexually violated by the groom and by the older men in the family, particularly if the groom was also a child, the State Department stated in its report. Next, we head to our pop culture stories from around the world. The first comes from India, where a new campaign is providing a much-needed wake-up to the country's domestic violence problems. The ad agency Taproot has launched its Abused Goddesses campaign, using physically recreated scenes from old hand-painted images of Indian goddesses. Only this time, those goddesses are bloody and bruised. The ads state, Pray that we never see this day. Today, more than 68% of women in India are victims of domestic violence. Tomorrow, it seems like no woman shall be spared, not even the ones we pray to. The campaign simply and effectively captures the contradiction of Indian society, where women are revered in religion and mythology, but left incredibly unsafe as they go about their daily lives. Another ad campaign making headlines this month was the reimagined magazine covers posted by Catapult, a crowdfunding site that advocates for global gender equality. Their recent campaign features magazine covers depicting the human rights violations that women face internationally. The ads transform the covers of popular women's magazines, such as Bride, Good Housekeeping, and Seventeen, into magazines called Child Bride, Good Slavekeeping, and Thirteen, in order to raise awareness about child marriages, modern slavery, and human trafficking. The cover of Thirteen features article titles such as Who Needs a Childhood Anyway? How to Run in Heels, Six Fashion Tips That Could Save Your Life, and Hide Those Bruises with 35 Easy Makeup Tricks. Catapult challenges their readers to do something about the issues they portray by donating to one of the many organizations supported by their crowdfunding site, where 100% of all donations go towards relevant causes. And yet another campaign that has been making headlines is the new Ban Bossy campaign. The Girl Scouts of the USA and LeanIn.org have recently launched the campaign to urge a ban on the word bossy and encourage young girls to be leaders. Joined by celebrities such as Jennifer Garner, Beyonce, and Jane Lynch, the campaign's public service announcements detail how using labels such as bossy discourage girls from taking on leadership roles and thus hinder their development and contributions to society. According to the Girl Scouts Research Institute Ban Bossy National Youth Poll 2014, more than a third of girls who are called bossy lose interest in leading and stop making decisions or suggestions. Additionally, a 2003 study by Simmons College indicates that by the early teen years, more boys than girls aspire to leadership roles in future careers. The campaign hopes to empower young women by encouraging everyone to sign a pledge to ban the word at banbossy.com. As stated by Facebook COO Cheryl Sandberg, founder of leanin.org, we need to recognize the many ways we systematically discourage leadership in girls from a young age. And instead, we need to encourage them. So the next time you have the urge to call your little girl bossy, take a deep breath and praise her leadership skills instead. Next, we move to Colombia, where Councilman Marco Fidel Ramirez recently embarked on an online campaign 
to have Colombia's National Television Authority remove the video for Shakira's Can't Remember to Forget You song from the airwaves. The video, which features a sultry display between Shakira and fellow recording artist Rihanna, is what Ramirez calls simply disgusting in its glorification of lesbianism and tobacco usage. Shakira quickly responded to the councilman's campaign while attending the Barefoot Foundation's opening of a school, stating, In a country like ours where there are so many needs, a health system that needs to be improved, an education system that needs to be expanded, employment that needs to be generated, for a councilman to use his voice and his time to talk about a video by an artist like me means we're not doing too well councilman-wise, right? We couldn't agree with you more, Shakira. Now, we move to the fashion industry, which is coming under increased pressure to include more diverse women as models, and to finally obliterate the super skinny and super unhealthy models of yesterday. Our first story focuses on Hollister, which had to quickly remove an ad of a model from its social media sites after people complained that the model was too thin and sickly, almost to the point of being emaciated. The photo features a young blonde woman on the beach in Hollister's new summer dress. But it's not her hair or her dress that draws your attention. It's the fact that you can practically see the outlines of her bones under her skin. The photo garnered plenty of negative feedback across social media, though it remains unclear whether the model is truly that skinny in real life or if she was airbrushed to appear so. Yet the fashion industry is not so bleak. This past month, Eden Miller made history with the debut of the first plus-size line at New York Fashion Week. The designer presented her spring 2014 collection with five other hand-picked designers as part of the Fashion Law Institute presentation at Lincoln Center. Miller used stunning plus-size models from agencies like MSA and Wilhelmina for her catwalk, including models Victoria Lee and Francis Cordova. Additionally, Torrid has recently announced that the new official face of their line is Georgina Burke, a 23-year-old Australian and the first plus-size model for the line in years. Though ecstatic about her new job, Burke stated that the real victory would only come when plus-size models don't make headlines. When plus-size models are in magazines or campaigns, it's the biggest news. We'll only know we're on the right track when it just becomes normal. It shouldn't be so exciting that we made it, you know? But I can already feel the change. When I was a kid, I was big and couldn't buy anything. Now there are tons of lines targeted to plus-size girls. Next, we move to our coverage of International Women's Day which was held on March 8th. Be sure to check out our podcast from International Women's Day, where we explored the history of the day, and junior girls Hillary and Sarah provided us with an insightful look at women engineers and at Sarah's visit to see Malala Yousafzai. Also on International Women's Day, the United Nations launched its He for She campaign, which urges men and boys to take a stand for women's rights. As part of the effort, the Secretary General has established a network of male leaders to speak out against violence as part of the complimentary Unite to End Violence Against Women campaign. The campaign works with populations to raise awareness and change attitudes, customs, and practices that perpetuate discrimination and violence against women. In the United States, First Lady Michelle Obama and Deputy Secretary Heather Higginbottom spent the day in recognition of 10 extraordinary women with the 2014 Secretary of State's International Women of Courage Award. The award is given every year to women around the world who show exceptional courage and advocacy for human rights, often at a great personal risk. This year's recipients included activists, doctors, lawyers, and others from countries such as Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Georgia, and Guatemala. 
During the ceremony, Obama stated, Every day, with every life they touch and every spirit they raise, these women are creating ripples that stretch across the globe. When we see these women raise their voices and move their feet and empower others to create change, we need to realize that each of us has the same power and that same obligation. Additionally, Gap Incorporated launched its One Stitch Closer campaign on International Women's Day. At the center of the program is Gap's PACE, Personal Advancement and Career Enhancement Program, which will expand to provide education and training to even more of the women who make the company's clothes. One Stitch Closer will share the stories, ideas, accomplishments, and challenges of these women and other change agents who focus on making themselves and the world better every day. It will also include the release of a six-part film series by director Rachel Morrison, featuring six exceptional women. The films are very personal and emotional portraits that will inspire viewers to do more to ensure that women have every opportunity to fulfill their dreams. Amongst others, the series features a garment worker and PACE program participant from Indonesia, a poet and youth advocate from Los Angeles, and a 19-year-old woman who is using her passion for science and technology to better detect breast cancer. By stitching the individual films together into a year-long series, these personal journeys remind us that women are the very fabric that keeps the world together. The films are now available for viewing at gap.com. For our final segment today, we turn to the stories of incredible girls that have emerged during the past month. Our first incredible girls are those who were recently selected from a pool of Women Delivers 100 Young Leaders to receive $5,000 seed grants for local girls and women's health projects and campaigns. The projects are part of an online voting competition that allowed the public to vote for the project they believe will have the greatest impact. The winner of the currently ongoing Top 10 contest will receive an extra $500 towards her project. Four of the projects by young girls seek to implement programs that would help Mexican mothers speak out about their sexual and reproductive health needs, reduce the burden of HIV AIDS among female sex workers in Nigeria, use mobile technology to deliver reproductive health education and services to adolescent girls in Tanzania, and establish a sexual health campaign in Uganda to educate urban youth. Also this past month, the Harvard Lampoon, a 138-year-old humor magazine at Harvard University, elected its first African-American female president. Alexis Wilkinson, a junior at Harvard who is studying economics, will oversee the comedy institution that has fed stories to Saturday Night Live, the Simpsons, and The Office. Alexis's election comes at a pivotal moment for women in television and comedy, as public debate over diversity in comedy recently spurred Saturday Night Live to hire its first black female cast members and two black female writers in years. Alexis has also recently finished an internship with Late Night with Jimmy Fallon and a Los Angeles production company. Our next incredible girl is Kayla Montgomery, an 18-year-old North Carolina high school student who hasn't let multiple sclerosis stop her from training 50 miles a week and winning a coveted state title in track. Diagnosed just three years ago, Kayla has been running ever since, a feat that pushes her body to the brink and leaves her uncontrollably staggering and collapsing at the end of every race. I guess I found the determination to keep pushing because I refused to allow MS to keep me from doing the things I loved, she told Yahoo Shine in a Facebook message. I didn't want to be defined by having MS. So I continue to push and give it my all every day that I can. I know that with MS, my mobility isn't necessarily guaranteed. So I've decided to take every day that I can and make the most of it. 
Next comes the story of Brooklyn Beasley, a seven-year-old who sprung into action this past month when her pregnant mother began slipping into a diabetic coma. Brooklyn, watching her mother slipping away, says she knew to call 111 from watching television, and she was able to explain that her mother was diabetic and give the family's address. She then followed the operator's instructions to open and administer a glucose syrup to her mother and told arriving paramedics that mommy needs sugar, effectively saving her mother's life and that of her unborn sibling. Our final incredible girl is truly incredible. She's a lifesaver at the age of three. Much like Brooklyn, little Ariana Lynch of Massachusetts knew exactly what to do when an emergency happened. On February 10th, Ariana's mother became ill while at home with her daughters. Eight months pregnant, Ariana's mother collapsed into unconsciousness on the floor, possibly suffering a seizure brought on by severe dehydration. Ariana quickly sprang into action, calling her mother's cousin using a cell phone and leaving a voicemail. The cousin got the message, called 911, and returned Ariana's call. The little girl then unbolted the door to let paramedics inside, all while taking care of her one-year-old sister. The amazing thing, however, is that Ariana used her mother's cell phone, for which she had never been taught the picture-based password, thus proving that kids see much more than we think. She then identified the correct number by the pictures in her mother's contacts and made the call. Way to go to both Brooklyn and Ariana for their quick thinking that saved their mother's lives, and to all of our incredible girls featured this month. We hope you have enjoyed this month's News Roundup. We invite you to tune in to our next podcast on April 11th, where we will, be, we will be continuing our Girls in Art series. Thank you, and have a wonderful day. If you like hearing a fresh, girl-positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax-deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up-and-coming artist Han Av. You can find her SoundCloud link on our website.